Uni Taster Days proudly presents The Uni Guide. The Uni Guide. For parents and teachers. The guidance podcast you need to support students with university decisions. Welcome back, listeners, to the Uni Guide. This is episode two, and it's a big one. Today, we are going to be taking on student finance and getting to grips with this. And in order to do so, I'm going to welcome back my trusty co host, John from Uni Taster Days. Please saddle up, partner. John, as a self confessed student finance nerd, it is great to have you on. I'd just like to know how you are and if you're looking forward to this episode. Welcome. Hi Tim, hi Ian, and, and hi everyone that's listening. Thank you, Tim, for inviting me back on my second, on the, the second episode. So um, I'm John Cheek. I'm the founder of Uni Taste Days, and, and this session is going to be looking at student finance, which is the my biggest, I suppose, my biggest area of interest when it comes to university guidance. We did some research at Uni Taste Days, and student finance was considered the biggest barrier for students to university. And actually, that's been replicated with other bits of research from organisations like UCAS. So it's a big, big, big issue, student finance, and I'm really delighted to be coming over and talking about it with you today. Great to have you with us, John, and I'm also pleased to share we have another student finance sharp shooter with us on the pod. And that guest goes by the name of Ian McGarry. Ian is well respected in the field of information, advice and guidance, has lots of experience within admissions, university and widening participation. Welcome, Ian, to the Uni Guide. Yeah, hi Tim, hi John, great to be here. Um, so my name's Ian McGarry, I work for an organisation called Greater Manchester Higher and we help to advise um, students and learners from about the ages of 13 upwards about higher education. I've uh, been advising students for about 15 to 20 years and we're absolutely right to be discussing this subject at this moment in time and we hope we can help you. Great to have you with us Ian, um, could you just give our listeners a little bit of a backdrop into your journey into higher education? I went to university as a mature student. I'm somebody, I've not got A-levels. I've not got no, low level three qualifications. I was given a break by my local university based on, again, basically what I was doing in life. I was working as a local journalist. You might notice the print media has gone to pot in the last 20 years. I went to university to career change, to get that qualification, to move on. And fingers crossed when I look back over the last 20 years and what I've done, I wouldn't have looked back and made any other decision. Okay, so we've got Ian and John, two experts in the field of student finance, two sharp shooters. I was going to have a duel, but that was against the health and safety regulations, I'm afraid. So let's do something more civilised to put your skills against one another for the listeners' benefit, of course. And let's play Mastermind. To test your knowledge on student finance myths. Hello and welcome to Mastermind. On this episode, we're going to be pairing two guests with expert knowledge on student finance. We have John Cheek and Ian McGarry in the studio today. Listeners, please play along. My name is John Cheek. I'm the founder of Uni Taster Days and my specialist subject is student finance. I'm Ian McGarry. I work for Greater Manchester Higher and my specialist subject is student finance. Okay, Ian, you're first. Please step up and get... Get yourself acquainted with the chair. That's it. No shuffling. Dim the lights and we'll, we'll start. Okay. Question number one. 
Okay, please answer this next statement. You have to be especially well off to go to university these days. That's false. University should be any, for everybody, regardless of the financial issue, should not be the reason someone is put off going to university. Correct. More student debt means higher monthly payments for students graduating from university. Uh, that is false because it depends on what you earn, how much you pay. Correct. How about this one? When a university student graduates, they'll be paying off their student loan debt um, for the rest of their life. That's false for me. Correct. University graduates should be looking to pay off their student debt as soon as possible. I would say incorrect. False. Correct. And finally, question five. Uh, I've started to finish. Question five is, if you take on student debt, it will affect you, your ability to get a mortgage in the future. Incorrect for me. Um, again, it's a misnomer. A lot of people think that. But that's not the case. When you apply, I see this, the mortgage is probably the next big thing that someone would get after their student loans. But the lender will do an affordability check, but you won't be prejudiced on the fact you've got a student loan. Correct. Ian McGarry, you've scored five. Next up, we have John Cheek, your specialist subject of student finance, as we know. John? Thanks, Tim. I've dimmed the lights down. I've got a swirly chair already. Okay, John, question number one. If a, if a graduate doesn't make the uh, payments for their student loan, bailiffs will come to their house and demand the money back. That one's false, Tim. There are different type of loan. Um, you won't, students won't get bailiffs knocking on their door. Correct. Um, a, a question number two, a university student graduate can avoid paying their student loan back by going off abroad. That one is false, Tim. Um, Correct. Basically, if students go to university, they're going to have, a, they, they're likely to have a tuition-free loan, maintenance loan. They do need to pay it back if they earn over the student loan threshold. It's not possible just to vanish and therefore not pay your student loans back. Question number three. A student, as soon as they graduate, has to pay their student loans back straight away. That one's false, actually, on two counts. Ian mentioned this earlier on. So students, if they're earning over the student loan threshold, actually repay from the April after they finish their course. But actually, the reason it's doubly wrong is they only start repaying their student loan if they're earning over the student loan threshold, which now for 2023 starters is £25,000. So they earn that and they pay back a 9% over that. Correct. Question four. Uh, your student debt will affect your credit score in the future. No, Tim, it won't. So that's one of the, the myths you often hear in relation to student loans, that students won't be able to get mortgages and things because of their student loans, but student loans don't go on their credit file. So Correct. That one is false. The one thing, just to be super clear, though, is what banks might do, and I'm not a financial advisor, but what banks might do is look at how much students can afford in terms of repayments on things like mortgages. So they might look at what the repayment is on student loan, but they won't look at the balance. I'll start. I've started to finish. Question five, finally, John. If you want to go and do a master's degree, which is a degree after your first initial degree, you have to pay for it all yourself. I don't obviously work for a university now, but the last job that I did with the university, which is you know, a few years ago now, was actually a postgraduate role. And there's things that are called postgraduate loans that students can get that's going to support them when it comes to masters and PhDs. So actually for teachers, for parents, guardians, if you are interested in going to university yourself, you might, of course, look at an undergraduate course, which is like the bachelor's courses and stuff. But you might also want to look at a master's course as well. And there is financial support available for that. Correct. John Cheek, you scored five. <laughs> 
police report you both got five. We won't do a tiebreaker because that would be the duel and it's against health and safety. But thank you for both taking part there. Some really good myths that are being busted on student finances. Save the Student, which is a brilliant organisation and they have a fantastic website, published a report last year and they surveyed thousands and thousands of students about student finance. And here's some headlines on what we found from looking at this brilliant website. I would recommend it and it is in the show notes. So here we go. Number one, one in 10 students said that prior to university, they had never budgeted before. Number two, 74% of all students wished that they had better financial knowledge before entering university. 40% said that they had their own business or side hustle. Uh, 67% had a part-time job, so they were working as a university student. And a further 40% said they were wished that they were provided further information and advice on things like bursaries, scholarships, and further financial aid that was available to them before going to university. So, John and Ian, any kind of feedback or thoughts on those stats and those findings? I'd be in very, as you said, Tim, it's a year ago, we're, as we're talking, we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis, um, very, very focused at the moment on what affordability and going to university looks like this current cohort and the next 12 months as well. And hopefully over the next few minutes, explaining about a bit more about the support that's available. Really interesting research findings. I was particularly interested when you said about financial education schools, which I know we're going to probably mention him quite a few times in this podcast with Martin Lewis. I know is, is, is a big one for improving financial education in schools. But one of the big concerns I've got in relation to student finance and, and one thing that, that I've been kind of campaigning on massively as much as I can anyway, is, is actually student finance guidance in schools. And, and so many schools just aren't, you know, students in schools aren't told about student finance. And I can work with year 12s, year 13s and, and ask them simple questions like, if you earn X amount of money, how much would your student loan repayment? And then usually nowhere near. So for me, student finance is financial support to support students when they're at university. So it comes in two ways in the main. It's tuition fees and also maintenance, which is supporting students with their living costs. But I think quite broadly, if we just look at student finance as support for students with the cost of university. Anything to add, Ian? For once, Tim, I've got nothing to add. I think that's a great starting point there. I've got that on record then. Uh, <laughs> I would just like to introduce this to the episode. Grief tune, that's loud. What was that? Okay, so I've got a klaxon, klaxon, whichever you prefer. And if any of us are rambling, not being concise and to the point, using jargon or any kind of technical terms on student finance, I want you each to use this and interrupt us so we can define what we're saying. Okay, so we've got our klaxons now. Um, John, you mentioned before, and Ian, you both referenced Martin Lewis. He's fantastic on the subject of student finance. Um, John, if you can just explain some of the work he's done previously with Unitaster Days. Yeah, thanks, Tim. So every year in our Teacher's Guide to University, we're really fortunate to have editorial from Martin Lewis, who I and many others see as the, the leader when it comes to student finance. So basically every year in our Teacher's Guide, he puts some content together with the key things that teachers need to know about university, but also that could easily lend itself to students and also use parents as well. Absolutely. And to save time, we've put all of John's notes into five easy bullet points, if you like, on student finance. So, John, if you'd just like to kind of kick us off with the first one. So the, the first 
point that Martin raises is that student loan price tag can be £60,000, but that's not what students pay. And a bit of context to that, in that you see a lot in the news, you know, whether you're watching TV or reading in newspapers, that university costs a lot of money. But what Martin's point is, is yes, on paper, it costs a lot of money if you look at tuition fees and also living costs. But no student on the first day of university is going to get a bill for £9,250. That is paid for students by the student loans company. And then the idea is that if students earn enough money in the future, they start paying that back. Yeah, I think that's right. The stigma, these are big sums of money, you know, for, for a typical 18, mm. 19 year old. And when we talk about the loan, the tuition fee loan, the students don't see that money. They apply for it. It goes directly to the university. So in respect, in terms of managing that money, we can take that out of the equation. It goes once you've done your student loan application, you've got that money, it'll go direct to the university. You don't have to worry about getting that out of your account and making a separate payment. So the average university course is three years. With that said, how much can a university charge? Who, who can help me here? Well, we know for the next two years that 9,250 is going to remain the top figure. That's settled for two more years. So anyone who's dealing with year 11s at the moment, we've got that. Um, like I say, that's not going to go anywhere. We know that's the typically what most people charge, but not everybody. There will be some examples out there that charge um, a tuition fee loan that's slightly less. And those could be alternative HE courses to degrees, things like higher national diplomas. So just be aware there is a little bit of variation, probably not as much as the government would like to see. Okay, so the average degree is three years. The most they can charge is 9,250. How do we get to these figures of 50, 60,000 pounds, John? Yeah, thank you, Tim. So, so quite right. So, how tuition, how the the sixty thousand pounds, seventy thousand pounds, fifty thousand pounds is made up is essentially nine thousand two hundred and fifty pounds in most cases times by three for a three-year course. The remaining amount is then the maintenance loan, which can be roughly, and this changes every single year, but roughly up to twelve thousand pounds a year. So you times twelve thousand by three. You also obviously uh, times nine thousand two hundred fifty pounds by three, and then you get to a figure that is going to be around that period. Okay, John, so you could just give a bit more detail on maintenance loans. The one thing to note from that, though, is that not all students will get the maintenance loan of £12,000 upwards. In fact, most students won't get that amount of maintenance loan. We'll cover that later on. So we're talking, obviously, ranging in t- ranges in terms of figures. In terms of maintenance, one thing, just to be super clear, we say maintenance loan, but it might not be particularly clear for you what a maintenance loan is for. And what a maintenance loan is essentially for is to support students when it comes to living costs. So it's likely the rent with the highest cost are going to win into, but it's also going out and enjoying themselves. You never know, maybe even buying a few textbooks as well. And all that type of thing is going to be covered when it comes to their maintenance loan. Okay, what about repayments then? When and how do we start paying the cost of university back? There's nothing to repay while you're at university and doing the course. The repayment issue only kicks in once university's finished, the course is over, and then you start to repay that following April. If if you're earning above a threshold. Mm. At the moment, that threshold going forward will be £25,000 a year. Okay, then. As a graduate earning over the £25,000 threshold, what is this I've heard about 9% and what you pay back? Thanks, Tim. Yeah, so in terms of repayments, basically students from 2023 onwards will pay back 9% of anything they earn over £25,000. So for context... If a student earns 
£28,000, they're going to be paying back 9% of £3,000, which is the gap between 25000 and 28000 If I could just really quickly share a story with you, Tim and Ian, and this is a student that I worked with a year or so back, and, and he kind of listened to the whole session and then towards the end popped his hand up and he said, John, if I had a pay rise, I would reject it. And I said, why, why would you reject this, this pay rise? And, and he said, John, I ain't going to pay back my student loan. And what he, what he thought, and I'll kind of summarise the story a little bit, but what he thought is the second he starts earning over the student loan threshold, which is how much you need to earn before you start paying anything back, he would pay back his student loan on everything that he earns. He didn't realise it was only the bit upwards of the student loan threshold, which is how much you need to earn before you start paying it back. So for context, just to be super clear, if a student under the 2023 system earns £28,000 a year, they will be paying back 9% of £3,000, which is the gap between £25,000 and £28,000. And what's this I've heard about repayments in terms of after 30 years, it gets wiped off? Is that correct? Well, this, this, is, this is one of the key bits going forward. So from 2023 onwards, it'll be a 40-year period when those repayments will be made. Just to be clear, if the earnings go below that 25,000 threshold, you don't have to repay until such time they go back over that as well. So people who are coming out of work for whatever reasons, whether it's family, traveling, it'll pause at that point. From there. So that's really keen to get that across. And Martin Lewis, as we keep saying, is ahead of the game. I think part, Martin's like, part of the issue is how this student finance system has been communicated. It's quite easy to get very muddled up very quickly. I hope that's not the case for this podcast. But Martin Lewis as well is really clear that in terms of people who pay everything back, that's only going to be the very, very high sterners. Ian, I was just wondering how these payments come out. Do you get a letter in the post or does it come out of your account? How does it work? Yeah, it's, um, it's basically once life, working life kicks in after university, it is a deduction from the what, you, what we used to call a payslip back in the day. Um, it's, it's an element that comes away like national insurance and tax. And the other thing as well, it doesn't affect a credit file going forward. I think it's one of those things that the recent generation of graduates have learn to adjust to and learn to live with. It's another deduction from that monthly pay packet. That brings us to the end of part one. Join us after a short break for part two when we'll be collecting experiences on student finance. Welcome back to part two of the Uni Guide. So we're talking about the cost of going to university and essentially you can put it down to two key elements. So number one is student finance. This is funded by the government and provided by the student finance company so we can basically go to university. This is comprised into a package if you like. So the first part of the package will be for the course fees that the universities charge. And the second can be described as a means tested loan or grants to cover living costs. John, why have you sounded the klaxon? Thanks, Tim. I think means tested is is, is a, a name that you hear quite a lot in relation to student loans. And, and, there's, and, and basically, the, the key thing that I think that parents and teachers need to know here is, is tuition fee loans. If a student is eligible for student finance, they will get their tuition fees paid. Where things change, and the word means tested comes in, is when it comes to living costs. And what this essentially means is that if a student how much a student gets for their maintenance towards their living costs will vary on certain factors. The main one being, I'm sorry about this parents, guardians, 
is household income. The more parents and guardians earn, the less money students get when it comes to their maintenance loan. Yeah, that, that's true. And again, it's it's an area. This is an area John described that hasn't necessarily leapt out to a lot of parents. It's what Martin Lewis calls an invisible parental contribution. It's not really foregrounded. And this is what we again. It's part of what we're doing this podcast for to try and highlight this. To be prepared that for in, in a lot of cases, a lot of parents do con, uh, top up these loans that uh, young people get. Thanks, Ian. If we just reflect on the word loan and the word debt here. Um, it doesn't work the same way as you would maybe take out a loan or get into debt for, say, a mortgage or for a car or for an item. It's a bit different here, isn't it? So, But a lot of people say that, don't they? So you go into university, you're going to get into a lot of student debt. Ooh, that word debt, Tim, that's always had a lot of stigma. So it's a word people don't like to hear. Very true, very true. Just as a bit of an exercise, i just like to everyone listening and yourself just to think about a time when you've taken out a loan or you've taken out an amount of money to get a maybe i don't know holiday car anything you like think about the process of why you borrowed that what you needed it for and i also want you to think about in terms of the terms and the repayments did you have to pay up front did you have to do like a standing order did it come out every quarter what would have happened if you failed to make those payments and also what if your life situations change? So you had to give up your job through illness or for other reasons. Would the person who lent you the money be sympathetic to the fact that you couldn't make those repayments there and then? I doubt they would, Tim. I think they would want their money. And that's actually one thing that whenever I'm working with students, I'm keen to stress to students that student loans, like them, hate them. They're probably the best loans that students are ever going to get. You never, I'm sure, and hopefully I'm not wrong with this, but I'm sure students are never in the future going to get someone that's going to say, Here, tell you what, here's some money. Only pay us back if you earn over X amount of money. And I'll tell you what, if you don't clear this amount of money within a set period of time, in you know, 30 years, 40 years, whatever the, the case might be for that student, we'll wipe it. But that is exactly how student finance works. Your question, Tim, uh, gave me images of my first uh, car. It was a very embarrassing car. Boy racer, spoiler, bright orange in colour. Um, We'll, we'll kill that bit of conversation. But I needed a vehicle for work. I needed a longer-term investment. I didn't have that money to hand. And John's up, and that's what a lot of loans are for, for investing in the long term. Sorry if that sounds a little bit hackneyed when we're talking about student finance. But John makes a really important point here. This isn't a complete parallel to a commercial loan that you would get off a bank on high street. And, John, and again, Martin Lewis is quite strong. A lot of people come into this and thinking, I need to clear this debt as quickly as possible. There's a lot of false economies around that train of thought. And again, a lot of detail we won't go into here, but Martin Lewis's website can help with that. I can just see you in your orange. Uh, what was it? A, please do share. Was it a Cosworth? What was it? A Fiesta? Or oh, I, need to, I need to. Well, if I give the make away, it'll belie my age. It was a Mark II Ford Escort. Um, the collection should go off at this point. think we've uh, exhausted that conversation no in all seriousness thanks very much for your insights so just to recap in terms of repayments it should be seen as a graduate tax as you're only paying over that threshold that's right isn't it yeah i think it the reason it's not described as a tax was purely about the politics at the time and again stigma and uh, it, well, let's just say that was a political decision but you're right it is a tax of sorts completely 100 percent agree with you 
So when we talk about the notion of student debt, and it gets reported a lot, even our BBC, Red Top newspapers, wherever you kind of get your news, just think about what is in front of you and what's in print. I mean, have you guys both seen this? You talk about um, student finance, and you have done on this podcast to other parents, teachers, students, obviously. Anything you can make a comment on here. Um, there's lots of myths and, and lots of misinformation, isn't there? And you see it all the time, you know, different stories. And, and also, actually, I think TV programmes are the worst for it, where the you know, university is mentioned in TV programmes. And, and someone will then say, well, you can't afford to go to university. And I think this is where we get stuff so wrong. I think if anyone says you can't go to, afford to go to university, they need to then back that up with someone else saying how students can afford to go to university, how student finance works. Because so many students, and I keep coming back to this, but so many students, parents, teachers, don't understand the key facts that students need to earn a certain amount of money before they start paying back their student loans and what the percentage is of how much they need to, you know, that they'll be paying back over that. And, and I think it's, it, it, we just, as a, as a society, we're just missing a trick completely. And, and, and we need to let young people know about how student finance works because it is the biggest barrier to university. It's getting, this is all about getting conversations going at home, really, mm. not being led by a newspaper or website. It is about having those conversations with parents, carers, teachers, um, and encouraging that as much as possible. That's where the messages will work and get home. I, th- I think it's important as well, whenever we're talking about student finance, is, is if we just look at the, the other side of the coin as well. And there'll be a lot of people that are listening to this that might say, you know what, I don't think it's right that students have this 50,000, 50, 60,000, 70,000 pound student loan over their heads. And, and I've got to be honest, I completely agree with you, but that is the system. But the thing I would always come back to is that whereas in theory, they've got this amount of money that they might pay, they might not pay. The reality is, if I was talking to students, I would say, look, you guys have got, if you go to university, you're going to get a student loan. I hope you all pay back your student loans. And then sometimes they look at me like, what, what, what? And the reason I say that is the only way you're going to be paying it all back is if you're earning consistently a lot of money over a long period of time and therefore establishing a successful career. I'm going to nick that line off you, John, for my work. It's a very effective one. The one thing I always say about student finance is to make it fun, right? We don't, what we don't want to do is make student finance a maths lesson and say, look, they, this percentage, that percentage, you need to earn this, you need to earn that. What I quite simply say to students is, look, I'll give you a scenario. You have been to university, you've finished university, you are earning X amount of money every single year. What is your student loan repayment? And, and I include some amounts of money under the threshold and some amounts of money over it. But to give you a, a practical example, if, and you might want to do this you know, if you're listening now, but if, if a student goes to university in 2023, completes their course, say in 2026, then gets a job. The April after they finish university, they are then earning £28,000 a year. What do you think their monthly student loan repayment would be? So the answer there for a student that's earning £28,000 a year is £22.50 a month. And I guarantee you, when I'm ever I'm working with schools in a year 12, year 13, or even some teachers, sometimes they'll say into the hundreds of pounds, hundreds of pounds and it's £22.50. How we work that out is the student loan threshold, which is how much students need to earn from 2023, is £25,000 a year. If a student therefore earns £28,000 a year, the difference is £3,000. So we're just making 9% of that. And then dividing by 12 to get the monthly amounts, and it comes to £22.50, which I pretty much guarantee is less than you anticipated it might have been. The starting point is, what does this mean to me and my circumstances? 
if you go to the gov.uk website, student finance, there's a student calculator. It's a quick five minute exercise, hopefully with a parent or a carer alongside, put those circumstances in on household income and it will give you a feel for the maintenance loan entitlement and what those repayments mean in the long term, what they equate to. I think that's just a very simple thing, hopefully to do to get those conversations going. Is whenever I'm in schools running sessions on student finance, the most popular question, the most common question I get from actual teachers relates to actually student finance that they're on. A lot of teachers that I work with will hear that it's £22.50 if a student earns £28,000 a year. And then afterwards we'll say, well, hold on, John, I pay more than that. And I think it's really important at this point, we remember that the student finance system has changed and probably will change in the future again. But there was a big change in 2012. And, and actually in 2012, and I don't want to make this overly complicated, but in 2012, university fees in theory went up. So students therefore borrowed more money. But what also went up is the student loan threshold, which is how much students need to earn before they start paying anything back. And therefore, in that strange situation where anyone that went to university prior to these changes in 2012 has actually borrowed less money, but then their repayments are a lot higher. So this will apply to teachers that perhaps are listening to this, thinking that the figures are perhaps incorrect, and also parents that might be into university as well. The system has changed, just be aware of that. And whenever I'm working with schools and students, I always say, make that super clear to them, because what I don't want them to do is go back home and say, oh, we had a student finance session today and the chap that delivered it said this, 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 and the person then say, well, that's not right. And that's because we're looking at two completely different systems. We've talked about parental um, contribution and the gap there between the loans. And we've also mentioned, you know, 67% of students, and I'm sure that's going to go up, have part-time jobs to supplement their income. I just wondered you to, um, anybody like to share what jobs they had when they were a student? Yeah, I think Tim, it's par for the course. We've um, had the ex-head uh, of UCAS this week saying that because of the current climate, she expects roughly about two thirds of students needing or probably having to do some degree of part-time work. That's not always possible with some degrees. I'm thinking of potential medics and other vocational programmes. But equally, I think increasingly it is part of the student experience and in some cases those part-time jobs those opportunities can start to build bigger competencies things to trade on once people are looking for those graduate jobs afterwards it's all about the balance though it's about you know not hopefully having to take on too much work that the studies begin to suffer as well and when there's a lot of help on university campuses in terms of advice should people get into a pickle with financing and also to find that kind of those kind of part-time jobs as well. The advice is there. It just takes a little bit of proactive attitude once you're on the campuses to get to that advice. Yeah, just quickly, when I was at university, uh, I had the combination of being a part-time mobile DJ. There's no space in Stoke I hadn't played. And on Sunday mornings, I used to referee junior football games. And it's amazing how that could give me, that got, got me an extra 40, 50 pounds just from the refereeing. As long as um, I closed my ears down to some of the names I was called. I can see you as a referee. Uh, John, you wanted to make a point on scholarships and bursaries. Scholarships and bursaries are definitely worth looking at. I speak to students a lot about scholarships and bursaries. And what we mean by scholarships and bursaries is essentially free money. So this is money that students don't pay back. And there's various resources that students can use and parents can use and teachers can use to support students when it comes to scholarships. The Scholarship Hub, off the top of my head, is, is, is one that, that I'd recommend you, you glance at. A very quick story about when I was working with a student in relation to scholarships and bursaries. So I was working with this student. I said, look, have you explored scholarships and bursaries? And he said, what are they? I said, it's free money. 
And I said, have you looked at them? And he said, no, I didn't even know what they were a second ago. So I explained then scholarship bursaries, what they were. And then I then said, are you going to have a look now? And he said, no. And I said, why are you not going to have a look? He said, it's not worth it. It's going to take too long. I said, look, a scholarships and bursaries, it's free money. It might be a hundred pounds. It might be 3000 pounds. How long will it take you to look for scholarships and bursaries? He said, two hours. And I said, how long will it take to apply for them? He said, two hours. I was thinking, thanks for putting so much effort in these, these, these answers. Um, and I said, look, it's going to take you four hours to research and apply for a scholarship. And a scholarship is worth £1,000 and you get it. You are paying yourself to do that £250 an hour. If you just take one piece of advice from me in relation to scholarships with bursaries, they are definitely worth a look. So parents, guardians do encourage students, the students to consider scholarships with bursaries. And also teachers, if you work with students and they're worried about student finance and how they can pay for university, scholarships and bursaries are free money. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. What if um, your child, uh, the child you're working with, has a disability? There's the disabled students allowance, which is definitely worth checking out. And also if students are studying particular courses, it might be teacher training, it might be NHS courses, there might well be additional support out there, which students don't need to pay back. So make sure you check that out as well. Two things from me, Tim. So on when young people apply through UCAS now, there's a section where they can um, declare personal circumstances. A lot of students still choose not to do that. They feel stigmatised. But that is how universities identify people who may be eligible for some of the extra support payments, the scholarships and the bursaries. It's in a lot of people's interest to complete that section of the form on personal circumstances. And then the other thing, Tim and John, that we always tell people is how they manage their open days. Ask directly at those open days be proactive i'm interested in coming to your university what is on offer in scholarship bursaries is it applicable to me always come away with that information even if it's a no but as john has given us an example earlier it might be a yes there might be something there that you've written off just that little bit of ask asking might give you a little bit of money yeah think about it you know that could be a deal breaker if you're stuck between choosing maybe one or two or three different courses different institutions yeah, the IAG I think we all give is that should not be the reason you pick that course in university. But you're right, Tim, it could be a point that supports that decision. And again, it's difficult on some open days to just have that confidence to go and talk to a stranger who works in student finance, the person who potentially got the answers. But my word, just be proactive. Find that five or ten minutes to ask those questions on those open days. Welcome back to part three. This is the part where we give you hints, tips and resources on talking and exploring student finance. Ian, have you got any for me on this helping with decision making, for example? Quite easy when we talk student finance to also talk about some of the debates around graduate outcomes, what students go on to earn. And it's important to get to the information to put the short term pressures of borrowing against the long term. What this course, what this particular choice of university I can go on to earn. There's a website, I think, that's pretty under the radar called Discover Uni. And when you're looking at universities, you can pull up seven different courses and look at and compare some of these outcomes together. And it's based on public data, what graduates from those courses have gone on to earn over three, five year period. Again, that can be quite informative to the overall decision making process. Not the reason to pick that particular course. Start to show, hopefully, those longer term benefits and few differences between location and types of courses in terms of potential earnings. We hear a lot about how much parents and guardians earn in relation to 
maintenance loans and the more the parents and guardians earn, the less they get, when, the less a student gets when it comes to actually how much they get towards their living costs. But to give you a real example, say a parent and guardian in the household, there is a household income in total of £30,000. What a student would then get as a living cost is £9,000 or around £9,000 based on 2022 entry if a student is outside London. And then it's about almost £12,000 if a student then studies in London. So they get more if, if they study in London, naturally, because the cost of living is higher in London. Now, if you want to go away and do a calculation yourself, what you could do is Google Student Finance Calculator. On there, you'll get to a gov.uk website. It asks you, I think, five or six questions, the main one being, what is your household income? It then gives you an approximate amount students will get when it comes to their maintenance loan. And you can literally put in the household income and get an example there. Ian, what have you got for money skills, budgeting? One thing that's always been available for students is discounts on things like travel, rail cards, coach cards. So if you are moving away from home, um, look at what used to be called, and I think still is, the young person's rail card. It's a third off. That will pay back quite quickly if you are going back and forth across home. So that, that's, that's a really good starting point and always has. One thing definitely for students to be aware of is NUS student discount cards. So they can get discounts on things like cinema, a lot of stationery shops. And, and the NUS card is, is worth its weight in gold in terms of discounts. Another way that students can also save money, I think, is, is in terms of you know, going back, and we'll probably talk about budgeting in a second, but about things like cooking together. So you're not just doing one meal, you're doing a, maybe a, a cooking for a number of people, say, and then they'll take their turns. You might also, and I, I, I quite like cooking myself, and I still do this now, I've got two young kids, uh, we batch cook. So rather than cooking for, you know, for one person in one night, if you times that by 10 and you've got a big enough freezer, you can then have food for 10 days rather than one. Just to say again, um, the, the advice around cashback websites and apps, um, it's an area of, of life that probably my generation didn't have to deal with, but there's so much out there and students talking to other students. There's lots of hacks, lots of information out there. There is, and as I mentioned, Save the Student is a good place to start. Just like to introduce Anton just to reflect on student finance uh, in terms of maybe some costs and how you can spread that about and also budgeting. So Anton is in his second year at the moment. Um, Anton, just like to share what you have found. Thinking about sort of money saving tips, it's easy to think of shopping as, as just being food and drink. You know, how are you gonna budget your meals for the week? But actually there's a lot more to, to shopping than that. Washing tablets, the, the cost of those uh, adds up uh, after a couple of months. All sorts of things. If you need any other cleaning products, perhaps you have a prescription that you have to pay for. There's all sorts of things to take into account. Uh, clothes, it can be very tempting when you get your first maintenance loan payment to be like, oh my God, I've got all this money. I think I'll go out and buy a whole new outfit or two or three. And that isn't always sensible. If you blow your money straight away, it is tough to then live for the rest of the term and, and over Christmas. Obviously, if you've got parents who can help, that that's that's really helpful. But not everyone has that. I never got much help from my parents. And, and also, I wanted to be independent of that. So I was very determined to sort of figure it out and, and survive on my own, thinking sensibly about where you're going to shop. Thanks, Anton. And as a student, you get kind of reduced subscriptions, Netflix, Spotify, that kind of thing. But you do still need to, you know, budget these and make note of when these are going to come out. Anything you'd like to share on these? Just kind of like a budgeting kind of advice. If the 
bills are coming out at different times. You don't realize it, but something suddenly 50 pounds might come out and you were actually thinking you're okay. And then bam, 50 pounds, ah, suddenly you're struggling a little bit. So that's something to sort of watch out for. If you can align your bills so that they'll come out on the same day or the same, same week, even that can be really useful because then you can get all the bills out the way and you know how much you're left with for the rest of the month. So that that's a big thing I would recommend doing. You're at university now, but you'll be a graduate soon. Do you ever worry about repayments or what you have to pay back once you start earning? Anything you can share here or reflect on? Student loans aren't something that I think about too much. I'm only just starting my placement year, so I still have a whole year of study once I finish. And honestly, it's financially managing at the time that you are most focused on. So throughout my first and second years, I honestly never thought about my repayments because I was so focused on the here and the now, uh, sort of surviving week to week, day to day, um, budgeting, all that fun stuff. So I would recommend that you don't worry about it too much. The, the truth is that when you do finish university, the repayments won't start until you start earning over a certain threshold. So I don't worry about it too much. Uh, and then for when you do start earning over that threshold, it only takes, I believe, 9% uh, of the difference between what you're earning and that threshold, mm -hmm. which is only a very small amount. And you don't even see that money anyway because that will be sent straight to the repayment by your employer. Um, it will never go to your account and you don't have to send it yourself. So yeah, it's not something to worry about too much. Tim, myself and Ian today have done all we can to give you the key things that you need to know about student finance. But of course, the best thing for you to do is to keep an eye on it. The student loans website is going to be really useful for you, but do keep an eye on it. We've just done our best to, to go through the key things for you today. I think the other thing when we talk about student finance at the moment is people are becoming increasingly aware of the alternatives to university. Things like degree apprenticeships, higher apprenticeships. Uh, these are distinctly different towards going to university. But the marketing around these apprenticeships is that there are no tuition fees. Now, practicalities, these are brilliant opportunities for some people, but they are incredibly competitive. And to the average 18, 19-year-old looking at higher education, if you're looking at a degree in a higher apprenticeship, you will also have to make UCAS choices because you can't put your eggs in all those baskets straight away. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about degree and higher apprenticeships in more detail another time. Yes, thank you, Ian. Indeed, we will. And just before we go, we've just had a bit of fun. Uh, it's one of the fact that we're in the presence of a DJ superstar. You've done a mix for us, Ian, haven't you? Um, and we're just going to be a bit nostalgic here and go back into the mists of time and basically go over all the kind of student finance elements that we've talked about today in terms of, say, I don't know, 10's a good number, isn't it? Hello, good evening, and welcome to Top of the Student Finance Pops, brought to you live from Uni Taster Days. Straight in at number 10, we have... We have Donna Summer with She Works Hard for the Money. Remember, not all universities are going to give you and telegraph the fact that they give away all the bursaries and things that you can save money on. So you sometimes you have to work hard, look, 
dig at John and Ian putting out this podcast, but it's well worth the payoff. And then moving out for two weeks, now at nine, we have... We have the Smiths with Ask. Remember, shyness is nice, but shyness can stop you from asking key questions at open days. Bumped up to number eight, just this morning, we have... Yes, John, at number eight, we have Die Straight with Money for Nothing. Remember, bursaries and scholarships, you don't have to pay them back. You in at number seven, we have... Yes, in at number seven is a tasty single called Career Opportunities by The Clash. Remember, 67% of university students have part-time jobs. This is a great way of getting extra money, but also gives you an opportunity to develop your skills for your future career. At number six... Yes, in at six we've got the Pesh Mode with Get the Balance Right. Remember, if you have a part-time job, make sure that you're in control of how many hours you do so your studies do not suffer. At five. Yes, in at five we've got the one and only David Bowie with Changes. Remember, student finance is always subject to change. For it. In at four we have the lovely Sinead O'Connor with the cover of the Prince classic, Nothing Compares to You. Remember, a student loan isn't comparable to a bank loan. Fresh in at three, we have... It's the godfather of Saul, James Brown, with the payback. Remember, you don't pay back anything of your student loan until the April after you've graduated. And it's after a certain threshold. Now, down to number two is... In at number two, we have Rasta Rocket with Rise Above It. Remember, the threshold as of 2023 will be 25k, and graduates not pay anything back until the April after they graduate. Above, they have to rise above £25,000. And you, in at number one this weekend, and top of the student finance pops is. It's badly drawn, boy, with something to talk about, obviously. Student finance is something that we should all talk about, and hopefully now you'll feel more prepared to do so. John, Ian, thanks again for being fantastic guests. Please open the windows. <coughs> There's too much smoke in here. You've been listening to the Uni Guide, the guidance podcast you need to support students with university decisions. If you have any comments, suggestions to ask a question or absolutely anything else, do contact us using info at unitasterdays.com. Stay tuned, like and share, and as always, take care. This podcast was produced by Tim Rowe for Unique Taste of Days.